0: for your founders, somewhere around employee five, the laws really start clicking up. And by 15 and 20 employees, they really start clicking up. So you have to have the right policies and procedures, employee handbooks, mechanisms for filing complaints, investigating complaints, resolving complaints. All of those things are just a necessary part of running an organization.
1: Welcome to In The Thick Of It Toolbox, the special series where inspiration meets implementation. Here, we don't just share success stories, we equip you with proven tools and strategies from seasoned founders, turning entrepreneurial dreams into actionable plans. Prepare to be enabled and empowered on your journey. You're not just listening to a podcast, you're gaining access to an essential toolbox for your business success. Let's dive in. I'm excited to have my longtime friend Ben Hale join me on this bonus episode of In the Thick of a Toolbox series. Ben and I go way back to our college days in the late 90s. He has spent his entire 20 plus year career with Ethos Group, the leading provider of outsourced HR services. Since graduating with a business degree focused on human resources, Ben has worked in nearly every facet of Ethos Group's business. He's risen to a leadership role guiding the company's overall vision and strategic direction. With an insider's view into hundreds of small and mid-sized businesses over the past two decades, Ben has seen it all when it comes to the HR challenges that entrepreneurs and business owners face. We'll tap into his expertise, covering everything from the basics of HR compliance to wild stories from the trenches. Even if you have an HR manager on staff, I expect you'll learn something new about safeguarding your organization. Ben, thank you so much for coming in and being a guest on our special toolbox edition of In the Thick of It. For our audience, just some background. Ben and I have actually known each other for well over 20 years. We met at the young age of 18 as we were freshmen in college and lived in Dunn Hall.
0: It's okay if I date you here. We've been friends since the 90s. It's a long time. Puts it in perspective. You must be old.
1: (laughs) So we go way, way back. And actually, before we get too far into it, you have actually been in your position with your company, not in your position, but you've been with your company your entire working career. We live in a world where two years these days is almost a long time, and yet you've been there for 20. I think it'll be good insight for people that are listening. What is it that has kept you there for so
0: long? What I was looking for when I was graduating from A&M back in 03 was an opportunity in hr because i was a business major there in, in their school their business school with a human resources management emphasis so i really wanted an hr job and the more i looked around the more i realized most entry-level hr jobs were like payroll benefits analysts they weren't the interesting parts of hr to me and i was much more interested in the employee relations side like something with people and what i really wanted was opportunity right that's what most people want. And when I found Ethos Group, which is still today our parent company, they had been in the finance consulting space since 96. So they were a fairly new company, but they were established and the people who started it had been in that business for for a while before that. And they wanted to get into the HR space. And so here I had this unique opportunity to kind of do a startup, but within the the loving arms of a parent company who could give us some resources and some, some support. So 20 years later, I've now had every job that we have at Ethos. I've, I've bounced from field rep to sales, to support, to admin, to our human resources help desk, our hotline, we call it. Uh, now for the last handful of years on the leadership team and most recently getting to lead the whole operation. And it's been really rewarding. But what has kept me there is the same thing that is what brought me there, which was opportunity. And I would have probably left years ago if I found some better opportunity somewhere else. I don't feel like I was ever just willfully blind. My father had some entrepreneurial history with him and has taken some different unique jobs. And I saw how that played out, but he's also had a lot of loyalty to really good places when he worked there. So I feel like I was ready for that mix of, hey, I'm okay trying some different things and figuring out what works. But if it is a good thing, You've got great opportunity right in front of you. Why would you leave it? So,
1: takeaway for founders is make sure there is always opportunity for your people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Let's kind of go back into the background. Coming out of
0: college, your area of study was? Human resources, HR. And, you know, at AM in the business school, they kind of divided it back then into some marketing, some finance, some accounting, and then HR. And HR, still today, but then was a mix of the psychology side and the pre-law legal side. And that's the part of HR that I love, which is what we really call today employee relations, which is like a subset of this large umbrella that is human resources, right? When we talk about HR, that can mean a lot. HR can be payroll. That's really important, right? Everybody, any company, you got to get your payroll down. HR can be the benefits part or the the larger comp or even employee rewards. It's sometimes called now. HR can also be recruiting. One of the most important parts any company has is how are they going to recruit and onboard their new people? The salesman side of HR is the recruiting side and the payroll side of HR is the accountant side, right? But then there's that part in between, which is, all right, we've recruited them and we're paying them. but how are we engaging with them? How are we making this place successful for our people where we're going to follow all those laws, the really boring labor laws that nobody likes, but they're very real for every business for your founders, somewhere around employee five, the laws really start clicking up. And by 15 and 20 employees, they really start clicking up. So you have to have the right policies and procedures, employee handbooks, mechanisms for filing complaints, investigating complaints, resolving complaints. All of those things are just the necessary part of running an organization.
1: I'm going to probably oversimplify what it is y'all do. And and so just take this as the, the jumping off point. I think of what you guys do as outsourced HR. You may have a different term, but maybe explain what that is.
0: Well, there's a lot of ways you can outsource HR, right? Even just the concept of outsourcing things in general. It's not uncommon today to outsource lawn care, right? Or janitorial services or all sorts of things that we don't necessarily want to do. Once we have specialization and division of labor, the whole economy grows a lot faster. And so that's what we do with outsourcing HR. Just take another little piece of specialization and divide that labor because we can do it, frankly, cheaper, faster, better than you can do it for yourself in a lot of cases. So when you're looking at outsourcing, almost everybody outsources payroll now. They might have a payroll person who still manages part of the process, but it's not like old payroll where they literally ran the reports and filed it with the bank. Now they're just using software. So that's where we come in on the employee relations side, much like companies years ago started figuring out how to use payroll. They're now using tools like Ethos Group or EGCS to outsource the onboarding, the training, the new employee orientation, the distribution of the employee handbook, And then the problem solving. One of the big features that we provided first years ago was our HR hotline. And we thought we even referred to it as the employee complaint line. And we thought that like, all right, this is really for employees to call us and let us know about all the problems I have. And that definitely happens. We get plenty of those. And that's a valuable part of that tool. But month in, month out, about 85% of our calls come from managers. They're not filing complaints. They're asking for help. Because your managers of companies are in this great middle, right? They're not the employees. They're not the owners or the upper echelon of leaderships. But they're in the middle, and they're in charge of applying all of the policies and then solving all of the problems. And they need help. And most companies don't provide very good help to those managers. And so for us, whether it's the owner, the executive team, or the frontline manager, we're giving them a person to call a VP of HR, an HR pro to pick up the phone and call, in our case, they're literally SHRM certified human resources professionals to get some answers, to get some directions, sometimes just to brainstorm with. Uh, Or one of our most common things is just to do documented write-ups or reviews or things like that for people. We get a, a whole lot of calls just to help find the right words. HR, the words matter a lot. So we're professionals at helping with the words.
1: Indeed. Real quick, one of the things we always try to do is when there's acronyms or industry-specific terms, help people understand what those are. So you mentioned SHRM. Could you just
0: break that? In the HR world, SHRM is our people. That's the Society of Human Resource Management, and they have a very highly regarded, difficult-to-achieve certification process. Like a CPA would in accounting, HR folks can be certified as well, and SHRM is the governing body who does that. That test has got like a 43% pass rate for first-time takers, and you have to have years of experience and education just to be eligible to take the test. So it means a lot in the HR space if you can hire somebody who's got that SHRM credential, and we hire only people who have that to work on our hotline. How many times did it take you to pass it? It was a first-time passer. All right. Yeah. I had some great experiences with SHRM. I actually got to work with them and help create the test. And so I, uh, I spent a week in D.C. with the fine folks of Sherm and uh, the Prometrics testing team helped them come up with more questions. And man that was a really cool experience. I learned a lot about the test creating process, what they call actually item writing is their version of a test question. And uh, it's amazing how it works. It made me. Joining the process to help create another version of the test made me way more impressed with the test and the amount of effort they go to to get high quality questions and really try to measure accurately that the test taking candidates know what they're doing.
1: I'm glad to hear that for a number of reasons. In our world, a lot of what we do involves salesforce.com, and we expect that all of our people that are, are working on Salesforce for our customers have certain certifications. I went through the process. Starting over a decade ago, and I remember just how mentally exhausted I was after the exam. And it's not a Mickey Mouse exam. It's not something you just show up for cold and anybody that knows just a little bit can get their way through. And it sounds like that same rigor is there in a very crucial area. Yeah, absolutely. Why would someone consider outsourcing HR? and? Maybe just to kind of expand on that, what are some situations if you're experiencing this, what's that tipping point that makes you call?
0: Most of the time when we're talking to an owner of a company, they have an idea of a thing they want to do, but they need like a pro, right? They need somebody who's maybe had a couple of laps on the track before them to bounce those ideas off of. And most good founders, I, I find, because we work almost exclusively with small, midsize, family-owned companies. Our average uh, customer's got 50 employees. So, you know, we're working in that small, mid-sized space all the time. They're really good at finding a board of directors. It's probably informal. They, they wouldn't maybe even call it that. But they have people in their life that they go to for, like, resources on these different areas. But most of them don't in HR. And it's because a lot of people just have not, so to speak, gone to school in HR. And so they make these really important, impactful decisions about their company with big blind spots. They're making them in the dark. And so what we're giving them is a way to say, well, why don't you call a pro in this area? Because you would have called a pro in every other important area. Call one in this area, too. And it's a service that I've provided to friends or anybody who I know needs it for free. That just like friendly hotline HR advice. But bought a couple of rounds of drinks here and there uh, in the early days. Absolutely. And we're still happy to do that. It's a way that I find that gets us leads, right? Because as those people, as we give good advice, the reward is you get the opportunity to give more good advice. The package we put together is based on a 1999 U.S. Supreme Court case. So as as you and I were going off to college, the Supreme Court was ruling in a situation where they said this company lost a sexual harassment case. And the company felt like short of having a magic wand, they didn't know what else they could have done differently. Right. They had trained their people. They had provided a hotline. When a person complained, they investigated it and they took appropriate action. So, like, what else could they have done? Well, in that case, the Supreme Court literally ruled in favor of the company and said, you're right. And so that what we call established an affirmative defense that companies can now follow and say, hey, you know, here's a roadmap, Here's a list of things that I can do as a company to protect us, to give us an affirmative defense. If we do get accused of harassment or discrimination or some crime against man and humanity, they can point to a process that they followed. And so we built our company to give people that. That's why we have our online training program. That's why we put in that hotline. And while we don't come out and do that investigation for you, but we can coach and guide you, we can give you training and tips and tricks on how to do that investigation effectively and get it documented. And then if there is those elevated cases, we can even point you to a law firm who might help you if you need that. But in the vast majority of cases, if you do these things right, you're not having to deal with lawsuits because, you know, nobody came to work wanting to sue their employer. That's not their goal. That's only like that last ditch effort when nothing else went right. Right. So we put all of these things in place so that it can get resolved before it ever has to become an EEOC claim or a department of labor or an attorney or something like that. You
1: touched on something that I think might be worth doubling down on when we first started working together. One of the things that you told me was we want to be preventative. We want to be proactive, not reactive. And the the training aspect, the Handbook creation, the policy creation, that's such an important part. How often are people coming to you for those kinds of things versus coming to you when they have a problem?
0: So when we first started it, it was we kind of looked at it and said, well, where should we help people? Right. And so the natural places, well, when they have a problem, that's where we'll help. But then we realized when they have a problem, like I like to use this analogy, if there's 10 steps to this process. And you come to me at step seven and say, What should I do? Well, that's a really hard question to answer. But now, step one is very easy. And I can walk you down a path at step one. But when you're already at step seven and you've done steps one through six on your own, that's a tougher problem to solve. And a lot of times, there's no good answer at step seven, right? Like we've already messed everything up. But if we can start you at step one and we can help you create the policies and procedures that you need then sometimes you never even run into those problems at step seven, like like you said already. It's a preventative pill. So you can take these, swallow these pills in advance. If you can get the policies and procedures in place and train your people on them, give them a nice outlet to ask questions and then answer those questions in a timely manner, you actually prevent a lot of the real blowups and real nasty problems from ever showing up.
1: Instinctively, most business owners know that they need a CPA, right? We all got to file our taxes and, and we know we need an expert for that. I would say that many know that at some point they need an attorney for creating contracts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And as an aside, I've, I've got an attorney friend who is in litigation and I called him a while back and said, hey, can you help me with some contracts that he goes, Scott, I'm the guy that you call when your contract stuff doesn't go right. So here's the people you talk to first. Right. Let's get these contracts done right. And then if something falls apart, then you come to me and you guys offer both
0: ends of that. That's kind of a good way to look at it. There is still the area where we reach our end, right, where now the attorneys do begin. And there's always a need for attorneys. We live in a litigious society, so we're not taking any business away from them. In many cases, we have great relationships with attorneys because they love taking on our customers' cases because they get all of this evidence. They get all of these things that most of their customers bring them, their clients. They didn't have a policy. They didn't write anybody up. They never trained anybody. They just woke up one day, fired a guy, and then he accused him of some terrible act. And they had no way to defend themselves because it was all just in that founder's head. Well, in our world, we've got documentation everywhere. We've got all of this training. We have all of the right tools. They're all customized for your company. It's not just the kind of stuff that we just rubber stamp a name on it. We literally, if you will remember, but we have these onboarding meetings with you where we customize everything. So it's how you want to do it at your company. Talking about that for a second, I
1: can remember sitting in your conference room and you're asking me questions in order to help design the handbook and policies and procedures, you're asking me questions that I didn't even know were questions I should be thinking about. Right on. Yeah. Is that pretty common or do most people come to you already educated?
0: No, that's part of what that meeting is, right? That's actually we we internally we say that's our first training meeting with you. It's because we're making you think about things you've never thought about before. But the goal is if you think about them now before there's a problem, it's like, okay, we can solve this. There's no emotion, right? We're not We're not mad at this person. There's not even a person on the other side. It's just a theory. How would you like this to be? So we map it all out that way for you. Then we put it in place. So then when there is a problem where there is emotion, well, now we can kind of fall back on the formula. What's the policy say we should do? Now, of course, we write everything so you can change the policy if you need to. That's an important part of being a founder, right? And I think it's actually one of the things that pushes people away from HR a little bit is they say, well, look, I'm making it up as I go here. I don't have the answers to all the questions yet. I don't want to write the policies that uh, pin me into a corner that says, oh, I must do it this way, because what if I don't want to do it that way? Well, if you write a smart policy, then it still gives you space to make adjustments where your legitimate business needs provide for adjustments. But it also allows you to have the peace and the comfort of knowing, well, we have a way to do that. I don't have to think through that problem every time there's a new problem. I have a manual i have a thing i can go to that tells me and not just me but my whole team of people who work at this company what we should do in this situation so there's a lot of freedom there because if you're a founder running any sort of small to mid-sized business you're having to answer so many questions there's so much brain fatigue with that because everything's an important decision And employee relations are some of the most important decisions because if you mess them up, you lose the person in charge of some important department or you lose the key driver of some business for you that really matters. So you can't mess up employee relations. The bar is too high, not just like, oh, I might get sued or something, but like the actual cost to your company, your culture, the environment you're creating is too high to mess up in this space. So you want to have these tools in place, even if they seem optional. You mentioned already like, oh, you know, my CPA, my attorney, probably not optional. Like, you know, the government's going to get me if I don't do these things. And you're right. But I would say HR and doing employee relations right is every bit as important. It just seems like it's optional, but it's really not. Talking about that flexibility makes me think you're not
1: Toby from the office. Sure. Love Toby. God bless Toby. Oh, man. (laughs) He got such a bad
0: rap. The biggest heart, right? I mean, poor guy was always just trying to help people and Michael hated him.
1: (laughs) And yet he put up with Michael. I imagine y'all probably have some Michaels. A minute ago about that Supreme Court case, that was tied to what I think most people would think of as like worst case scenario, like sexual harassment. I'm sure that that's the sort of thing that if people think too much about it, it's going to keep them up at night. It's a huge fear and it's one that's important. But the reality is there are a lot of much smaller, if that's even the right term, incremental things that are not near that level of severity, but can still can still create liability, can create exposure, and and they can also impact the employee experience with the organization. What are some of the common things that you guys run into that aren't the worst case scenario?
0: The extremes often allow for good examples, right? Because that's the thing in the headline. But the, the actual day-to-day is people being late to work. That's the single most common thing. A management asking for help on a problem employee situation is our most common call to our hotline. And then the most common subcategory of that call is just tardiness, right? It's like no different than high school. It's like the bell rang, he wasn't at his desk. What do we do? It happened again. We talked to him about it, it happened again. We wrote him up, it happened again, right? It, it's sad. But it's just human nature, I guess, like being at work on time, is hard to do. <laughs> it it hasn't changed. But there is some some things you can do to manage through that. And a lot of it is clear communication of policies and then consistent implementation of those policies. Different companies have different things. You guys don't operate a place here where being at work at a specific time is a big deal, right? But other companies like that's a huge deal. They need somebody logging into a phone system at a certain time or being logged into a queue for customer support. And so being late's a big deal to them. So there's ways to structure the time, structure the schedule, structure the communication, all just strategic things to help. And then sometimes you just don't have the person in the right seat on the bus, right? They might be a good person, real friendly. But if they're just not in a season of life where being on time at a job is a thing they can do, you got to give them an opportunity to do something else. And so we'll help you do that in a right way as well, where with the right write ups and documentation, we can move to termination of employment. Document all that in a good, clean way so that when that unemployment claim pops up or when that workers comp claim showed up out of nowhere or when you're trying to fire them, but then they mention ADA or FMLA, you know, American with Disabilities Act or Family Medical Leave Act, right? They're they're throwing something at you that you weren't ready for, and now you don't know what to do. And when you guess at it, you'll probably make the wrong guess because you're uninformed. So instead, you call your friendly Ethos hotline and you you actually talk to the pro who says, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's the form, here's how to address that, here's a word track, right? And that peace of mind that comes with that, more so it's twofold, right? Because for the founder, you need the peace of mind for you, that you know who to call for the right answers. But really quickly after that is you need to know that your people. Have a place to go for the right answers. Because a lot of founders, like the longer you do it and the more it becomes small to mid size, it's not really you doing all those things anymore. It's this whole staff and management team that you have. And you might go, Oh, you know, well, I trust Billy. He'll do a good job. And I, you know, Susie will do a good job. But then there was Walter over here. I mean, he's a high performer, but man, he doesn't always like people. And if Walter's just firing from the hip all the time, then that guy or girl or whoever's creating a lot of liability for you. And then eventually when something goes wrong, what might have been what you call these little incremental small things here and there over the course of months and years, those can add up to be a disaster. That can add up to be a, a paper trail now of problems that you have that can be extremely costly to a company, not just in culture, you know, financial cost as well, but cultural cost, obviously.
1: And not to mention the time that it takes for an organization to deal with these kinds of things. Sure. Yeah, time away from what you wanted to be focused on. From your mission. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned at my firm, we have a pretty flexible work situation. We're not punching a clock. We do have to track time for different reasons, but we're not looking at when somebody buzzes into the door each day. But that got me thinking from industry to industry, there are all kinds of different implications. Being in an office is very different than being in a machine shop or in construction or in a factory, on and on and on. And I got to thinking a second ago about how a year ago we actually we made an acquisition and thankfully, I mean, that business was similar enough to what we did that there weren't really any implications. But I would think that as as businesses are doing mergers and acquisitions, you need that extra set of eyes to help you understand, Okay, well, now that you've moved into this space, these are things that are
0: important. Yeah, absolutely you know another thing that you're probably not considering cuz you're a, a good texas man but crossing state lines man oh man do the labor laws in our country change when you cross state lines so and you you actually done that before we've talked about it before just a few weeks ago yeah. reached out about that yeah that's right sorry it's an amazing difference and we've spent a lot of time in the retail automotive space and so the buying and selling of dealerships is as common as buying and selling of cars and so constantly are owners of dealerships selling this store, buying these two stores, selling those two stores, buying these four stores. And so they're always in need of when they take over those new stores to come in and put in the right policies and procedures because they don't want to let that store run with whatever culture it had. They want to immediately start shaping the culture to their family's model, how they want that business operated. And so it's really easy once you've already started to set up your policies and procedures, you kind of have a framework, then you can go put it into any place. You might have to customize it a little bit, right? You might have to turn some knobs up and some knobs down. There's a different state FMLA here. There's a different program over there. So you'll make those adjustments. You know, we do all those things right there with you. The gun laws change, right? There's so many things that change state to state that you have to make those adjustments. Right now, we have customers in 12 different industries, so there's a lot of industries out there. We're not experts in every single one, but it's amazing how much is consistent across. And so we'll we'll start with what we know and then learn what we need to learn to help that particular industry be successful when we do take on a new one.
1: If someone were to say, hey, yeah, this sounds great, I think I need this, what does the timeline look like? What are the steps that you go through to get somebody up and running to be compliant? And then to have that, that ongoing maintenance, for lack of a better term.
0: We basically have about a one-hour sales presentation where we just explain everything that we do. And we do that not so much to sell you on it, but to make sure that you're getting what you think you're getting, right? It's not a, like I, I tease our sales that it's not really sales. All it is is explaining what we do and so we just really try to make sure that you understand what it is that we do and then how we're going to do that and we need to then understand what it is that company wants and needs because if it's not a fit we don't need that business but if it's a fit then we schedule a um what you referred to earlier as that day where we create the stuff you know that's the idea of our all of the policies and procedures and it's pretty much a workshop day and it doesn't always take all day but we're going to spend about a day with you and help identify with your leadership team, what policies and procedures you have, what needs to be adjusted, what needs to be customized. Then we go back to our office, we take all of your employees, we put them into the software, build out everything customized. Our training is at the job title level. So that means we can train a sales manager this way and we can train a salesperson that way. Then we can train a software developer this other way. So it's not, doesn't have to be uniform. Uh, which is really important because we want to train different people on the things that actually apply to their job, not just, oh, everybody's an employee, so everybody gets the same stuff. So we build all of that. But from a timeline, we're talking weeks. So from a sales presentation where somebody says, yeah, this is interesting, I like it, let's do it. Then within a week or two, we'll have that onboarding meeting scheduled where we do the workshop. Then within a week or two, we'll have the software built and ready. And then we'll come out and do what we call like an installation meeting or a kickoff meeting We did one of those here at Ben, where we uh, got in a conference room and just explained how this works to everyone. Change Management 101, right, is to let people know what's gonna stay the same. And when a new HR company comes in, people like raise an eyebrow at you and they're like, all right, what are y'all doing here? What went wrong? Who messed up that now we have to have this, right? So we're just explaining, this is part of a natural growth of a company. Any company grows, you start kind of checking new boxes. And for most companies, you reach a point, you need some HR help. You need some training and policies and procedures. And we put the hotline in place and employees only respond really well to that hotline. Some of them will call to just be like, does it really work? Who is answering this? Is it going overseas? Hosted here in Dallas, Texas. And they'll just ask some simple questions and start to build that relationship. But from, hey, I'd like to sign up to we're actually using the product. I think our average time right now is around 30 days. So yeah, it doesn't take too long.
1: Early on in the conversation you talked about, there are so many different facets to HR. There's recruiting, there's payroll. Very few people are doing payroll themselves. They're they're using some kind of service and some people even go the PEO route. Do you typically come in alongside a PEO or payroll provider that has some light service or how does that work?
0: We don't really step on the toes of payroll, right? So we can work with them. We have some different APIs that we use to integrate with payroll companies so we can push or pull data back and forth just to make onboarding new users easier. A lot of our customers use Paylocity. It's a really good payroll company that's pretty forward with their software and it works really well with ours. But we're able and willing to integrate with other payroll providers as well where it's needed. Managing users in our HRMS, our user system, is pretty easy. We're not collecting everything about that user. so. There's some conveniences in using the APIs, but it's not like a must to do it for ours. So we can work with any payroll provider that you already have. A lot of the PEOs will either try to offer something similar or have their own version. So we don't have a ton of customers that also have a PEO, maybe a few, but they all have a payroll provider and we're not, uh, we're not stepping on each other's toes there.
1: What can a founder
0: expect to achieve by having an outside HR group? I think the first thing they're gonna get is that peace of mind, right? That the reason that you buy insurance is because you're looking for that peace of mind, but it doesn't actually prevent anything. It just helps to make it better. Like if there was a problem, we're literally trying to prevent it, right? So the peace of mind that we're providing is that you now have answers to your questions. You know that if it does all go wrong, that you've done the right things, that your business is acting like a real business or a big business should be, not like a startup that doesn't really, hasn't found their way yet. There's a reason that every big company in the world is doing all of the things that we do, because these are the best things to do if you run a big company. And so somewhere along the way of becoming an idea and a small company and then a mid-sized company, these are the things that you need to do, right? So you can take the long way, And you can hire all of the staff and you can build your own software and you can train your own people at a great time and expense. Or you can just take advantage of the fact that other people have already done that legwork and solve that problem. And you can race right to the front of the line and get all of these tools and have them rolled out in a month. And just the peace of mind that comes with it of just knowing that you're doing the right things, that you're not going to get hit upside the head with some law that you guys have never even heard of. And all of a sudden you're in violation of it.
1: That peace of mind is huge, and that's something that totally resonates for me. And just kind of talking about the scale aspect of this, I think that we started working with Ethos when we were probably 10, 12 employees. And when we were that size, it, it didn't make sense. I mean, we're at that size. It doesn't make sense to have 10% of our, our organization be HR. It was exactly what we needed. And I'll share... I'll little peek behind the, the curtain and I'll, I'll keep things vague, but I was incredibly naive getting into the business that I'm never going to have an HR problem. I'm never going to have any kind of people issues that need to be dealt with. This is a confession. I genuinely thought that.
0: Just because you're a nice guy?
1: Just because I'm a nice guy and I hire good people, right? And how could anything ever go wrong? Truly, truly believe that. Purely naive. And yeah, you and I had had some conversation over drinks here and there and gotten some advice about different things, but we had a pretty major incident. And even as I think about this, I don't even know that we could have had a policy around the situation. Didn't impact a customer. Definitely wasn't a sexual harassment, but but it was something that was of, of consequence. And we engaged you when we were in crisis mode because we had to take difficult actions. What would you tell people about getting in before you have a problem?
0: Most people go to a personal trainer because their doctor said, if you don't lose weight, you're going to X, Y, Z, right? They go after the heart attack. They go after the shell shock. That's what causes human beings to change. Something dramatic had to shake them. And then they're willing to go make the needed change. Rarely is there anything about that change that that person didn't already know, right? It's not like they didn't know diet and exercise were going to help them right? It's not a news flash that they were not aware of before. They just were not compelled to make the change. We're no different in the HR space, right? If you have people, you will have people problems. It's a a simple equation. It's a one-to-one. It's a guarantee. If you have people, you will have people problems. You just get to decide for yourself. Would you like to be ready for them? Or do you want to put out the fire once the whole house is going up in flames? we have all of the tools they're all available they're all ready and none of them are rocket science and they're all actually today surprisingly affordable they're much more inexpensive today than they were 20 years ago when these new pieces of software and new things were rolling out so if you want to do it if you're a small to mid-sized business and you're thinking yeah i ought to do it then it's worth at least learning a little more getting a phone call taking a look because otherwise you're going to do it eventually it's just probably going to be when your house was on fire, which is the least desirable time to do it. We're currently hovering right around 30
1: members of the team, and we're still nowhere near the point where it would even remotely make sense to have a full-time internal HR person. And without getting into specifics, what we pay for this service is <laughs> – the peace of mind that I get for very little is – an incredible return on investment.
0: And we follow that, like the user count model. So it allows us to price the 10, 15 employee business very, very affordably. But then it allows our price point to scale up with the work because we have customers who have two or 3,000 employees in 10 states. The amount of work we do for them is considerably more than the amount of work we do for you But their price per user follows the scale where it makes sense to us, right? So it's a great model. It's worked really well for us. It allows the small businesses. When I was a kid, my dad had a sporting goods store and he had a few employees. And I can remember times where the police would call us in the middle of the night because one of the college kids who worked for him didn't lock the door when he left the sporting goods store. The whole business was unlocked, right? And I can just remember my dad thinking or talking to just venting to my brother and I about like... You know, it's the people that make it so hard to do business. And it's because we're all broken, fallen human beings. It's part of still being alive on earth. And so if you've got to work with people, then you need to put the tools in place to work with people the best way you can. And so things like this outsource HR is just a great way to do it.
1: If we call you one time in a year, it is worth every penny that we we pay. And if we don't have to call you It is worth every penny that that we pay. Yeah, it's
0: a good way to look at it.
1: What are some things that are going on in the HR space, HR law, that people need to be aware of? Like, what's kind of the current event? What's the, hey, if the court rules this way, this could impact? Is there anything major coming?
0: Yeah, there's several interesting things out there. HR law and how the courts are structured follows presidential elections in a really big way. Because in our country, the way is designed is whoever's the president gets to appoint the heads of the EEOC and the National Labor Relations Board and a lot of the judges. And those people are really shaping how labor law works in our country. And so there's an election year next year. There's generally not um, too much that happens right before an election. The things that happen are often for visuals. Then they really change the law, like they're, uh, they're paying dues to people who donated in their last election. And so it's just no secret who's in the White House right now got a lot of union money, right? That's a, they were the big supporter. And so there's needing to pay back for those votes. And so we're seeing some pro-union things coming out right now in the news just lately, some you know massive negotiations through the automotive manufacturing plants for unions, got good union wins, which is good for labor, broadly speaking. But there's this kind of push and pull of how easy is it to form a union? And you have a lot of people on all different sides of that, but the general trend is union membership is getting less and less and less. And so the other side of that is trying to make it easier to form unions to try to get more people into unions. So we're seeing some interesting changes with that you know, the National Labor Relations Board was formed because the National Labor Relations Act. And that law governs how unions work, and and that's how so much of that that, uh, impacts non-union workforces. And they don't ever think it impacts them. Non-union workforces think, oh, NLRB, that's for the unions. And yes, it is, but it actually affects every worker. What's in your handbook today is impacted by that law, and more so than the law, the board's interpretation of what that law says. And so that's what's interesting with the EEOC or the Department of Labor, these regulatory agencies They're not really designed to write new laws, right? That's Congress writes the laws for us, but they interpret the laws for us. And so their interpretation can vary tremendously from one administration to the next. So one of the things we're seeing right now is joint employer status. So that's the idea that if you own a franchise, who's really the employer? Is it Scott who owns the local McDonald's, we'll say, or is it McDonald's corporate? Well, for years and years, that's been split. Those are not the same employer. But the the definition gets redefined sometimes on, well, what is a joint employer? And it's how much control that, that those different parties have. So what you're typically looking for is attorneys um, need deep pockets to sue. That's what makes lawsuits valuable. And local guy owns a franchise is not near as deep a pocket as any of the big brands we all know. And so if they could say, Ford is now the joint employer of the local Ford dealership, well, that's a much deeper pocket to sue than just the guy who owns one Ford dealership in a small town. Or every fast food restaurant in the country is, is an example of that kind of joint employer deal. The other one is gig economy. That still continues to be a big deal. We see that definition changing. A lot of people in our country want to work on their own time at their own schedule for an Uber or a Lyft or any other. They like those options and the freedom that those options have. But our labor law system in the United States wasn't ever really designed for that. So our unemployment insurance doesn't work that way. Our workers' comp insurance doesn't work that way. Like nothing was really designed for that system. And so here we have this weird thing going on where there's now millions and millions of people still working, but not in the normal system that everything was built for. They're working in the air quotes gig economy instead of the typical employment law. So that's been weird. That's got bumper cars all over the place. The thing that we're all kind of watching and and toying with right now is how AI is going to start affecting the workplace more, particularly in the hiring processes. When you have large scale companies and they're trying to make decisions. Think of the Amazons of the world, people who are employing tens of thousands. It's hard to make a decision on a case-by-case individual basis. It just takes a lot of time. So if they could use some sort of AI to help them make better hiring decisions, firing decisions, performance decisions, they'll take it. The problem that we find is that in some cases, those decisions that that piece of software is making could have or be perceived to have some sort of discriminatory impact. They're affecting some race or some religion or some gender differently than others. And well, why? We know if there's either desperate treatment or desperate impact from a typical human point of view, we know how to identify that and say it's bad, but sometimes it's harder to identify it when software makes that decision because we can't say, oh, well, they just did it on purpose or because of some sort of known bias. It might be an unknown bias. It might be a programmer bias. It might be a learned uh, bias from the data that was inputted into. There's all these potential issues. So labor law and employment law in the U.S., it's an exciting time to be alive. (laughs) You know, there's a lot going on.
1: It sounds very fluid. And if there is a change in the White House in this cycle, it sounds like employers need to be prepared for some amount of change.
0: Yeah, always, always. And whether there's a change or not, right? Because if there's not a change, then that means he gets an opportunity to pay back all the people who voted for him on the union side, and that will cause some change. Or if there's a change the other way, then you'll see it swing the other way. So there will always be a change. That's been the definition of HR, right? Like even the fact that we call it human resources is changing. Not that long ago, they called it personnel, right? It was the personnel department, and then it was the human resources department. And now there's all sorts of other fun names that they start to use for, too. So it's always changing. That's part of the fun, though. Knowing other
1: HR professionals have come to learn that some of them have just the wildest stories. Your chuckle tells me that you've got some. Man, can you, without sharing names or anything that would give it away, can you share your craziest HR story?
0: It's always hard to know, like, what is the craziest, right? Because it's kind of situationally specific. Every good HR person will tell you the same thing. That is, I'm going to write a book one day. None of them really write the book. They'd get in trouble if they wrote the book, but they always say they're going to. And when we have our quarterly staff meetings, we bring everybody into Dallas to our office. We have an HR corner. And every meeting, we share a, a half dozen, at least, censored, cleaned up, for distribution but we share just the unique stories of the last quarter so it's never ending i'm trying to think of something that nobody could then google and and see who was really the people behind it i, <laughs> you know? I didn't mean to put you on the spot <laughs> there's always something out there but
1: as an aside i used to do this every time i got in an uber and i've done it less and less over the years every uber driver has a crazy story and I love asking them, what's the craziest passenger experience you've had? And man, it's
0: entertainment for sure. I think I'm now having done HR for 20 something years, my brain is so wired to discretion that um, I take everybody's confidence so seriously that like a part of my brain is always helping and then trying to forget what I just helped you with so that it never comes up again. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I did have one the other day. I'm I enjoyed the great outdoors and just being outside. And we had a a customer who, an employee had just purchased a new firearm. He was very excited about it. And so he carried it into the office to show a coworker who immediately upon grabbing that pistol, just squeezed the trigger and fired around right into the floor in between everybody. That got their their attention, obviously.
1: (laughs) For those that don't know, treat every firearm as if it's loaded.
0: Yeah, we we could list all four, right? Treat them as if they're loaded. Keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot. Don't point it at anything that you're not willing to destroy and know what your target is and what's behind it. I might got the order wrong on those, but those are the four rules.
1: Clearly in violation.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> well,
1: Ben, is there, is there anything else that you would want people to know about this service that could have a major impact on people's business?
0: The most common thing that we get from a customer after about a year is, we didn't know you did all of this And we didn't know it was so affordable. And so I think what that tells me is that from just a PR point of view, most small and mid-sized businesses have been overlooked by this outsourcing HR space. And the people in this industry have gone after big companies and they go and take care of them. And the small and the mid-sized businesses don't even realize that these tools are there and they can afford them. And so that's a missed opportunity for our country as a whole, right? Because if this country is going to succeed and do well, it's on the backs of innovation. And innovation comes from small and mid-sized businesses trying new things, figuring out new things, and growing. And so if we can help those companies grow, we're making this world a better place. I'm a happier person. So just know, right, that you can have these tools. It's not exclusive to high-dollar businesses big, fancy companies, everybody can take advantage of these types of tools as uh, really just a, a phone call away.
1: I, one of the things we talk about on, on our traditional In the thick of It podcast, I don't know how many times i put this out there. I tell everybody, find a mentor if you don't have one. My exhortation from today's episode is don't be naive like I was. And if you're 10 employees or larger and you don't have this, don't wait until you need it go get this in place now, take that preventative medicine and be prepared, not if, but when something happens. Great advice. I like that. As we wrap up, we were talking just before we started the the interview. This is not the first time that we've both sat side by side with headphones and, and a microphone. Yeah.
0: Back in the late nineties, there was a DJ show, a radio show that we hosted. One day, one time, one time, one afternoon session, but man, we rocked it. Yeah, it was good. I don't remember a single song we played. I wish we could go back and find that list. Do you have any idea?
1: I do remember one, okay. Guster was really big oh, sure. and, and yeah. I remember playing their stuff. I can buy that.
0: Maybe a little OAR in there or something like that. It was a good time. Probably some Dave Matthews and yeah. County Crows. If you were there in the nineties, Dave and County Crows for sure. Yeah. I'd probably try to squeeze in some Robert Earl back then, but who knows?
1: We already talked about years, but just talking about those
0: bands, we definitely have dated ourselves. So, <laughs> for sure. Those were good times, though. Nice to be back with you in studio. <laughs> May, hopefully, it's not another 25 years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Ben, thanks so much for coming in and sharing about Outsourced HR. My pleasure. For more information, visit egcs.com. If you or a founder you know would like to be a guest on In the Thick of It, email us at intro at founderstory.us.